morning. I've titled today's message, The Danger of Doing Good. Did you know there is a danger in doing good? Yeah? Before we get into that, let's do some review. So, since Christmas, we've been working our way through the gospel of Matthew. We're going to do some call and response here, all right? Is that okay? I just need to know everyone's alive and has a pulse. The gospel of Matthew, right? The gospel is a fancy word for good news. That's what it means. This is the good news according to Matthew, one of Jesus' closest followers. And so far, we've learned that this good news is centered on a person named Jesus. Wow, you guys are, are following. All right. And this person, Jesus, we've come to discover is not like other people we know. For starters, his birth happened in the most bizarre way ever. He was born of a virgin Mary. In case you missed sixth grade health class, virgins don't have babies. But that's the news according to Matthew. That's what happened for this strange fellow named Jesus. He is not like other people. That's the portrait we have of him so far. And then two weeks ago, his strangeness was confirmed by something we saw and something we heard. Jesus, if you recall, was immersed in a river by the, by the prophet John. And then what did we see? Anyone? We saw a dove, the Holy Spirit, right. We saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God descending like a dove, gentle and beautiful, upon Jesus. And what did we hear? God's voice. We heard a voice from heaven say, This, Jesus, this is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. The effect upon us was a strong sense that we better listen to this strange fellow named Jesus, or we ignore him at our own peril. The story continued last week, and we were startled by something new that we learned about Jesus. We already understood that Jesus was not like other people, but last week we learned that in striking ways, Jesus is exactly like other people. He's exactly like you and me in that he is tempted. He gets hungry when he doesn't eat. And he too must rely on a power beyond himself to stand up to the test of life. So Jesus is unlike us in his unique relationship to God the Father. And Jesus is just like us in that he is human just like the rest of us. This qualifies him in a most special way to offer real help to us when we're suffering, struggling, and stressed out of our minds. Today, we get the opportunity to listen to him teach. So far in the Gospel of Matthew, the first four chapters, we've heard Jesus say a few things here and there, but not any sort of long teaching. And today, we get to hear the longest recorded speech from Jesus in the New Testament. It's traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody heard of it? Yeah? 
It spans chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel. It's worth reading sometime in one sitting, if you can. If you've never done this, I'd I'd encourage you to do it maybe this week. Chapters 5 through 7. Today we're jumping right into chapter 6. Part of me hates doing that, but if you'd like to learn more about chapter 5, we're going to discuss that at the 11 o'clock discipleship hour. Chapter 5 is all about how to live according to the law of love. But starting in chapter 6, Jesus alerts us to two main things that prevent us from living a life of love. What do you think they are? Two things that prevent us from living a life of love. The answer may surprise you. Number one, according to Jesus, it's the desire for human approval. The desire for human approval. And number two, the desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. The social and the financial. Those are the biggest hindrances to Jesus' law of love. That's what he talks about in chapter 6. And we'll consider the the first hindrance today and next week and the second the week after that. Sound good? Thanks. Friends, while we let Jesus teach us today, Jesus is the most brilliant person who ever lived on this earth, is he not? So let's learn from Jesus today. Dear God, let the word of Jesus be our guide. Let the spirit of Jesus be our guide inner teacher, and let the glory of Jesus be our single concern. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 1. Hear the words of our professor, Jesus, reading from the NIV translation today. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jumping to verse 16. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face 
so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord Jesus. Jesus begins this section of teaching with a warning, a headline. This warning summarizes the point he's trying to make. And then he offers three examples to illustrate the same point. The examples, we heard it in the passage, the examples of of service, prayer, and fasting. Now, I'd originally planned on talking about the warning and the illustrations all morning, but thanks to the feedback from some of you, I've changed my mind. Instead of babbling on like a pagan today, I've decided to focus solely on the warning along with its many, many implications. And that will leave us plenty of time next week to give the three illustrations the space they deserve. Sound good? I'm doing it anyways. (laughs) So let's hear once more the opening remarks from Jesus. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The first thing we need to get straight is the definition of righteousness. It's a pretty big word. Don't really use it in our everyday speech. Did you hear anyone this week at your workplace or at school say the word righteousness? (laughs) Probably not. Now, some translations say, be careful not to practice your piety or your almsgiving in front of others. The word righteousness is the most literal translation, though. In the Greek, it's the word dikaiosune. It's the same word regularly translated throughout the New Testament as righteousness or justice. If you've read the book of Romans, that's the word used for for righteousness. So what is righteousness, anyways? If you look it up in an English dictionary, you'll read that righteousness is the quality of being morally right or justifiable. The quality of being morally right or justifiable. To put it simply, it means being a good person. Do you want to be a good person? If so, then Jesus warns you about being a good person in front of others in order to be seen by them. Jesus warns us, because many people in Jesus' day were doing just that. They were practicing their righteousness in order to be seen by others. They were being good people for the purpose of being seen by others. Two of these groups were called the scribes and the Pharisees. Can you say with me, scribes? Can you say with me, Pharisees? Pharisees. They were the biblical scholars of Jesus' day, the professors, the leaders. And these religious leaders, they displayed their moral rightness all the time. And everyone respected them for it. They held them in high regard. They were devoted, careful, and obedient people. They read their Bibles regularly. They served the poor, and they never missed church. They were good people. And their good deeds did not go unnoticed. In fact, they made sure they were noticed. Jesus talks about them 
later on more specifically. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 25, I think verse 5. Everything they do, Jesus says, they do to be noticed by others. They make extra wide prayer bands for their arms and long tassels for their clothes. They love to sit in the places of honor at banquets and in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with honor in the markets and to be addressed as rabbi. Now in return for their good deeds and their religious devotion, the scribes and Pharisees are rewarded with special titles like rabbi and teacher, which are not unlike our titles of elder and deacon and pastor. And the scribes and Pharisees, they're the ones the congregation wants to lead their small groups and Bible studies and committees. They are often called on to pray at public functions. By all appearances, these were the ones, that they, they were the clearest picture in the eyes of first century Jews of what it meant to live a life of righteousness, to live a morally upright life, to be a good person. But Jesus, unlike everyone else, Jesus is not fooled. Jesus knows the secret of every human heart. And the secret of these leaders was this. Everything they did came from a desire to be noticed by others. All their acts of righteousness, all their good deeds, they did it to gain human approval. That's the danger lurking behind every good deed. The danger centers on our motives. It resides in our hearts. As the prophet Jeremiah put it, the heart is deceitful above all things. So when we do good, the devil's always there whispering, see, you're such a good person. Make sure everyone knows it. This is the danger of being good. It can stir up our desire for the approval of others. It can get us focused on what psychologists call impression management. That's when we seek to manage the impression others have on us, have of us. When we say and do things to boost our reputation, to boost others' view of ourselves. According to Jesus, that's not a good thing. It may be a natural thing, but it's not a good thing. Instead, instead, Jesus wants us to have a single-minded focus on the approval of God. A single-minded focus on the approval of God. Believe it or not, that's actually good news for us, not bad news, but we'll get to that in a bit. So this context behind the scribes and Pharisees it explains Jesus' otherwise confusing words in chapter 5. I was always perplexed by these words of Jesus. They, ha- they made no sense to me. Chapter 5, verse 20. If you have your Bibles open, you might want to flip, flip there. Chapter 5, verse 20. Here are these, these words, these confusing words, unless we know this context. Jesus says this. He says, Unless your righteousness, there's that word again, Unless your righteousness, your moral rightness, unless it exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. His original hearers must have thought, well then, I don't stand a chance. 
How in the world can I be more righteous than these leaders? How could I be a better person than them? If you look up righteousness in a Jewish dictionary, you'll find their group picture. That was the idea around these leaders at the time. But Jesus says, no, no. (laughs) You don't understand true righteousness at all. You don't understand what it means to be a good person. It's not about the outward appearance of religious devotion, but it's about the inward reality of one's heart. It's about the inward reality of one's heart before God. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven until you understand this, Jesus says. So, Jesus redefines righteousness for his first century hearers, and for us too. Righteousness, being a good person, it's not about looking like a good person to others, even to yourself. It's about possessing a quality of goodness, of rightness, in the deepest part of who you are, irrespective of what other people think. You've heard the phrase, out of the kindness of one's heart. She helped him out of the kindness of her heart. That's closer to Jesus' view of righteousness. It is a goodness, a rightness that is found in the depth of one's heart. And of course, that goodness will lead to all sorts of good works, but it's only the Father's glory and the well-being of others that the truly good person seeks to obtain, irregardless of what others think of them. Is that making sense? Friends, here's what Jesus is getting at. Here's what he's getting at all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is aiming at the heart. The heart, meaning not just your emotions, but also your desires, your will, your mind. Jesus is aiming at the heart, your internal life. Your heart must be right, Jesus teaches, if you are really going to do good in the world. And you can't make it right by sheer willpower, Neither can you make it right by doing a lot of good deeds, even religious deeds, like the scribes and Pharisees. No, the rightness of your heart must exceed their rightness. So how is this possible, Jesus? Eventually, we arrive at only one conclusion. It's not. In human terms, it's simply not possible to be righteous. But Jesus will later teach that with God all things are possible. In other words, what we learn as we continue to read the Gospel of Matthew is that only Jesus can make our hearts right. Only Jesus can make it right. Only Jesus can give us a single-minded concern for the glory of God and the well-being of others, which is one and the same thing. But without Jesus, we're doomed. We'll keep doing the impression management thing. We'll keep thinking about, well, how does this make me look to others? Furthermore, and this is when we start to feel some hope, I think, emerge from the hardness, what feels like the hardness of Jesus' teaching. As we see Jesus interacting with broken people throughout his life, we discover that Jesus longs to make our hearts right. That's the good news. And as we see his broken body on the cross, we see exactly how far Jesus is willing to go to make them right. So come to me, Jesus says in Matthew 11, 
Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. Come to me, all who are so desperately trying to win others' approval, and you're exhausted from it. Come to me, all you who are trying to be good people, but it never feels like you're good enough. Come to me, all of you who are filled with self-doubt, so you spend your life trying to prove to yourself that you're good enough. Come to me, Jesus says in Matthew 11, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke, my teaching, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus wants to liberate us from the desire to impress and approve and get others' approval all the time. This is good news because it's grace. Jesus left heaven's comfort to enter earth's struggle. Why? To upend our sinking souls, to lift up your heart. A right heart, Jesus knows, comes from a right relationship to God the Father. And that's the beginning of true righteousness. And Christ achieves this on our behalf. That's why Jesus came, to restore the fractured relationship between you and God, between me and God. Now, Jesus knows this isn't just a bunch of religious jargon. Jesus knows that the fracture between a human heart and its maker is tragic. This fracture shows up in all sorts of broken and painful ways until we deal with it, like a fractured bone that needs healing. But some people never deal with it. Some never go to the doctor of their soul, and their sad life reflects the fact. This fracture between us and God, it puts our heart out of alignment. We desire the wrong things, or we desire the right thing in the wrong way. Or we desire the right thing in the right way, but with the wrong intensity. <laughs> Who will save us from our misaligned hearts? I will fix it, Jesus says. I will realign your heart with the Father's. I will make all things right. I'll make you right if you trust me. If you come to me and learn from me, if you follow me, oh, the good that you'll be able to do when your heart is truly secure in the Father's approval. Now let me make sure you're not misunderstanding me. The nature of Jesus' complaint against the scribes and Pharisees is focused on their motives. Can you say with me, motives? All right. Jesus does not have a problem with the form of their actions. So the, 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 the praying in public or the doing charity or the fasting, Jesus does not have a problem with those things in and of themselves. We should do these things. We'll dive deeper into that next week. But this is the same Jesus, remember, that said earlier, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's a, a teaching that seems to contrast a little bit with this one. So it's not the public nature itself that's troubling to Jesus. But that being said, 
Jesus does place a far greater weight on secrecy when it comes to personal devotion than most of us do, than I do. As we sang in the secret place, in the quiet place, (laughs) that's where the Father wants to work most on us. So we'll look at that all next week. So if it's not the form of the actions that Jesus has a problem with, then what is it? Is it the intensity? Are they just too religious? Are they too intense about their devotion? No, not at all. Jesus doesn't have a problem with the intensity of their devotion. Devotion to God must be intense, or else it's not devotion at all. (laughs) Never be lacking in zeal, Paul says in Romans, but keep up your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So it isn't the intensity of our devotion that Jesus has a problem with, unless, of course, it's a half-hearted, hit-or-miss kind of devotion. Rather, here's the thing. Jesus has a problem with the motive for that intensity of devotion. The problem lies in the why. Why are we doing what we're doing for God, for others? Are we doing it to please God, or is our aim to impress others? Well, to please God, of course. Oh, really. Why are you doing it? Jesus asks us. Are you wanting to draw attention to yourself? Or are you wanting only to shine a spotlight on the goodness of Jesus and help others in the process? Why are you doing it? Jesus asks us. A handful of years ago, there was a Christian professor making his way up the promotional ladder from young assistant professor to the chair of his department to academic dean. He was about to make the final leap up the promotional ladder, becoming the president of a prestigious college. The interview process went wonderfully, and and he put on display his intellect and his charming personality. Everyone liked him. It's no surprise that the search team was greatly impressed with his accomplishments, his achievements, his awards. Everything was going according to plan. His lifelong dream, it was his lifelong dream, to become an academic president, and it was about to become a reality, it seemed. Just think, just think of all the good things he could do for God if he earned this position. But before the search team made their final decision, they did something very wise. They asked the top three candidates to think carefully about why they wanted to be the next president. And a follow-up, if you become the next president, what are you looking forward to most? This led the ambitious, accomplished man to his knees in prayer, and that's to his credit. As he made it his aim to truly listen to God, what surfaced was startling to him. He prayed for discernment, and the answer came in the form of a picture Here's what he saw. He saw himself being announced as the next president and then taking the stage and greeting the crowd while his colleagues stood by, respectfully admiring him. That was the answer. That was what he was most looking forward to in becoming the next president, the admiration of others. It was a shocking discovery In truth, he had no idea how selfish his motives have been until he had honestly prayed about them in that moment. He thought he was doing it for God, but God knows the secrets of every human heart. 
And if you're brave enough to let him, God will reveal to you too the true nature of your heart. So in an act of true righteousness, the righteousness that Jesus redefines, that man immediately withdrew his name from the running, gave up his lifelong dream, realizing it was not from God at all, as he thought it was, but from his own desire for the approval of others. That is a hindrance to living a life of love. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. But on that day, that man received a reward. What is the reward he received? What is the reward we receive when we do good secretly, when we, do, when we pray privately, when we fast without recognition? We won't get the reward of human admiration, just like this man gave up that reward. But get this, we will receive the reward of divine admiration. So what's more important? Our loving Heavenly Father will take notice and will put a smile on his face when we do good secretly. That's when we'll discover the paradox of approval. It's actually easier, far easier, to gain the approval of God than it is to gain the approval of others. <laughs> That's the shock. That's the reason Jesus can describe his yoke as easy and his burden as light. The Father loves us without condition, and he's eager to show us his favor, and he longs to liberate us from the pressing need to earn the approval of others. So give up the one and seek the other, Jesus teaches. That's the first key to the abundant life of love that Jesus died to give us. Or in Jesus' own words later in Matthew 6, or sorry, earlier in Matthew, no, later in Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first, first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray. May it be so, Lord, May it be so. Amen.